We've been discussing the Mahasakaludayi Sutta. And in this Sutta, the Buddha is having a discussion with a, an ascetic named Udayi about the question of what is the reason why the Buddha's disciples have such great respect for him, why they treat him with reverence and esteem. And the Buddha has been explaining that it's not because of his strict observance of particular ascetic practices that his disciples respect him, but he mentions five other reasons, or five more important reasons. And we've come to the fifth of these, which you can call the way to develop wholesome states, wholesome qualities. And the first seven of these fall into a group of seven sets which in the later Buddhist literature are called the, sep- the 37 Bodhi Pakiyadhamma which might be translated the 37 aids to enlightenment or the 37 agents of enlightenment and last week I gave a kind of overview of these 37 factors, and now we can examine them in more specific detail. And the first of these is called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. We've already explained this in full detail when we discussed the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, but here the Buddha just gives the basic formula in brief, the opening formula of that sutta that a bhikkhu dwells contemplating the body as a body or the body in the body ardent, fully aware and mindful having put away covetousness greed and grief or you can say aversion towards the world and so too he dwells contemplating feelings as feelings states of mind as states of mind and mental phenomena or mind objects as mind objects ardent, fully aware and mindful having put away covetousness and grief for the world and thereby many disciples of mine abide having reached the consummation and perfection of direct knowledge Okay, now in this formula of the four foundations of mindfulness we have one root quality or one basic mental quality serving as the agent, you can say, or the leader, the director in this practice. And that one factor, leading factor, is sati or mindfulness. But mindfulness is distinguished into four satipatthanas, four foundations of mindfulness, according to the four different objects. That is, there can be mindfulness directed to the body, for example, when practicing mindfulness of breathing, when practicing the asuba meditation, the contemplation of the parts of the body, when practicing meditation on the four elements, when practicing mindfulness of the postures, walking, sitting, standing, lying down, all of these are included within mindfulness of the body. Then there is the contemplation of feeling, Vedananupasana, when attending to the different experiences of feeling pleasant feeling, painful feeling, neutral feeling. Then contemplation of mind when observing the different states of mind. Mind with attachment, without attachment, with aversion, without aversion, and so on. The Buddha details 16 different states of mind. Then there's mindfulness of, or contemplation of the mental phenomena, 
or mind objects when contemplating the different hindrances, the factors of enlightenment, the five aggregates, the sense bases, and culminating in the four, the contemplation of the Four Noble Truths. To get the full picture of the Satipatthana practice, one has to study the Satipatthana Sutta. But here, I don't want to take, try to take this in detail here, but just to examine this basic formula of the four foundations of mindfulness. And first, just to take the expression Satipatthana itself, there's kind of a, two ways to understand this expression. According to, one could interpret the expression Satipatthana in two different ways. Yeah, we, we could understand sati, uh, Satipatthana as what they call a sandhi or kanjang of sati plus upatthana. In which case, in fact this seems to be the more correct derivation because in the Sanskrit form one has vitupasthana. And this has the meaning of the establishing or setting up of mindfulness. Or we could say even the arousing of mindfulness in which here the emphasis is on the subjective factor that is what is the factor of mind that one is setting up that one is arousing and that factor is mindfulness the other derivation is sati plus puttana this would be literally the foundation of mindfulness and here the emphasis is what one is mindful of, what one is attending to. And here what one is attending to are the four objects of mindfulness. Mm. Body, feeling, states of mind, mental phenomena. And so here the emphasis is on the object. But it seems probably the Buddha had intended both meanings to be understood. Now if we look at this formula, we could see how the different factors of the Buddhist path intersect in every particular practice that one is undertaking. Unfortunately there's only one blackboard here. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to erase. So we'll just, we'll take the formula as it's printed on the, um, in the book and on these printouts. Okay, the bhikkhu dwells contemplating the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, or I would say clearly comprehending and mindful, having put away Let's make it simple. Greed and aversion for the world. Okay, now in this formula, though the emphasis is on practicing the foundations of mindfulness, but one actually finds four mental factors involved, which will enter into other places within the scheme of the 37 Bodhi Apaki Adhamas. Bodhipakiyadamas. Here we have the word atapi, which translated ardent, fervent. And which quality, what other quality does this word suggest? What is a particular mental faculty which is involved in ardor, fervor? Virya, energy. No, let's stop it. Don't paint legs on the snake. <laughs> okay. So, order here, it's virya, that's energy. And so when energy is mentioned, then what is implied by energy? In more, what would be a detailed understanding of energy? What would be implied by the mention of energy? 
not simply right effort, but the four right efforts. And so in the Satipatthana, practice of Satipatthana, you have also the practice of right effort, the four right efforts. So some people think, or some people who are misinformed, they think that you practice the these seven sets of enlightenment factors in some kind of sequence. Maybe first you practice the four satipatthanas, then when you get skilled in that, you go on and you practice the four right efforts. When you get skilled in that, you practice the four bases of spiritual power. Then you go step by step up to the Noble Eightfold Path. But it's not like that. <laughs> Rather, these all these different sets of factors are intersecting, flowing together, interlocking. And so when you have practicing satipatthana, attending to one of these foundations or objects of mindfulness, there's mindfulness attending to the object, but at the same time when it is applying effort or when it's applying energy to keep that object in mind, to keep away the distracting and disturbing mental states and that ardent energy that is nothing other than the four right efforts. Okay, then we have this fully aware or let's say clearly comprehending in Pali Sampajana what is the factor that's involved in this clear comprehension? This is a kind of seed of wisdom, the quality that will grow into panya. It's not yet fully matured wisdom, but when one is practicing clear comprehension of the object, or Walwan, let's say Walwan is practicing mindful contemplation of the object, one will be clearly comprehending what mental states arise. So if there are unwholesome mental states, one will understand these states are un these states are unwholesome. And then one will apply the effort or energy to remove them. One will be comprehending when there are wholesome mental states arise then one will be comprehending that these wholesome states have come into being. One will make the effort to strengthen them, to sustain them. <coughs> when one, excuse me, <coughs> as one is observing the object in the higher stages of practice, there is still, it's still satipatthana, still the arousing of mindfulness, but then one will be discerning this object in terms of its characteristics, it's arising and passing away, that is clear comprehension. And that is clear comprehension beginning to flower and turn into true panya or wisdom. And so in the practice of Satipatthana, there is energy and wisdom. Then the Buddha says next, Satima. He's fully aware and mindful what is the mental faculty corresponding to the word mindful. What is it? Let's put it in English. The Buddha says sat, satima or satima. It's mindfulness. Okay, so here we have mindfulness. Okay, now the last one is a little subtle, so maybe I'll, well, I'll ask it as a question, but it might be a little difficult to catch. It's the phrase, having put away, or we might take this in the present particle sense, putting away covet covetousness and grief, or we can say greed and aversion towards the world. What mental factor will be involved here? No. It's very subtle. Maybe it's a little, a sort of circuitous type of explanation that one gets in the commentaries. 
but I think it has some validity. Maybe I'll explain it, it's a little tricky. Okay, now this covetousness and greed, it's taken to be covetousness, to be a synonym for desire, or especially sensual desires, and greed to be a synonym for ill will. So these are the first two of the five hindrances. And the five hindrances are obstacles to samadhi, to concentration. So when one is putting away covetousness and greed for the world, one is actually removing the objects, or removing the obstacles to concentration. So in this way, one is facilitating the development of concentration or samadhi. So in a very subtle and indirect way, the faculty of samadhi or concentration is implied here. And so in this way, within this simple formula for satipatthana, the Buddha is actually pulled in or drawn in four of these very important mental faculties by the word ardent, the faculty of energy, by the <coughs> word fully aware, clearly comprehending, wisdom, by the word mindful, mindfulness, and by putting away covetousness and grief of the world, <coughs> concentration. And so in this, when you understand this, then you can see that while practicing <coughs> the four, one of the four foundations of mindfulness, one is also practicing or developing the five faculties, <coughs> the five powers, <coughs> several of the enlightenment factors, and several factors of the no, Noble Eightfold Path. Okay, so that will be the, <coughs> the four foundations of mindfulness. <coughs> and I think the Buddha has begun or started the 37 aids to enlightenment or agents of enlightenment with the four foundations of mindfulness in order to show the basic types of practice <coughs> in which the meditator engages in order to develop the qualities that will lead eventually to, <laughs> to enlightenment. <coughs> okay, next we come to the four right efforts, four kinds of right effort. <coughs> and these are given in the Sutta. Here a bhikkhu awakens or arouses zeal or desire. This is chanda. The word here is chanda. <coughs> For the non-arising of unarisen, evil, unwholesome states. He makes effort, arouses energy, exerts his mind and strives or endeavors. And similarly, to abandon arisen evil unwholesome states, to awaken or to arouse unarisen wholesome states, and also to sustain, strengthen, increase, develop, and perfect arisen wholesome states. In the case of each of these, he arouses zeal or desire. He <coughs> arouses he makes effort, arouses energy, exerts his mind, and strives. <coughs> so here we have directly as the factor of right effort, one mental faculty is involved. The one mental faculty is energy virulent. <coughs> but if we look at the formula, we can see link-ups with other aspects 
of the 37 aids to enlightenment, particularly in the expression, he awakens zeal or desire, chanda. That chanda is actually the first of the four bases of spiritual power. Under set number three, the first one, desire. Then he exerts his mind, that's chitam, paganhati. And chitta also comes in the four bases of psychic, of spiritual power, desire, energy, mind. <coughs> and so we see link-ups between these two sets. Then we take or analyze in more detail what are, what does it mean to prevent unarisen, unwholesome states from arising. <coughs> Excuse me? Well, that is so actually, but I'm, I'm, I asked that question actually rhetorically. <laughs> I was going to answer it myself. <coughs> Yeah, in some suttas, the Buddha explains each of these in turn. And he explains to prevent the arising of unarisen, unwholesome states in terms of the practice of sense restraint, the restraint of the senses. So when one sees a form with the eye, one is not attracted to the general appearance not attracted to the details, but one controls the sense faculty, one masters the sense faculty in order to prevent the arising of, again he says, the arising of covetousness and grief and other unwholesome states. And similarly with all the other senses, and so the first type of right effort is to prevent any of the defilements from arising through carelessness or negligence through negligence in relation to one's sense experience. <coughs> and then he explains when he analyzes what does it mean to abandon arisen unwholesome states. He explains as the abolishing or elimination of the three types of wrong thought, wrong thinking. That is thought, sensual thought, thoughts of aversion or ill will, and cruel or harmful thought. And in this way, the practice of right effort links up within the Noble Eightfold Path with right thought as well as with right effort. <coughs> then we have the development, develop the arousing of unarisen wholesome states. The Buddha explains this as the ar arousing of the seven factors of enlightenment. And so here we get the, all seven factors of enlightenment are brought into connection with the four right efforts. And then as the effort of sustaining and perfecting arisen wholesome states, the Buddha mentions specifically sustaining a, an object, a suitable object of concentration, a samadhi nimitta. And so if one develops a suitable object of contemplation and one is gaining some success in concentration, then one sustains the wholesome states by sustaining that object of concentration. But I think that's just a, very, a rather limited approach to sustaining the arisen wholesome states. 
one could take this in general as sustaining and perfecting all the seven enlightenment factors. In fact, one could say, what does it mean to sustain <laughs> the arisen wholesome mental states? One sustains the four foundations of mindfulness, the four bases of spiritual power, the five faculties, five powers, seven enlightenment factors, eight path factors. So, you could bring all of them within this factor of right effort. Okay, then we come to the third group, which is the four bases for spiritual power. In Pali, this is called the four itipadas. And this I have to confess, it's a group which I've always found a little puzzling in a certain way, because the text mentioned this set of factors as the strong conditions or the supporting conditions for developing the different types of psychic powers, what are called the abhinyas, the idis and the abhinyas. And there's a section of the Sangyuta Nikaya called the Itipada Sangyuta, and the Buddha mentions that if one wishes to develop the different psychic powers to have the ability to create many bodies out of this one body, to walk on water without sinking, to fly through the sky like a bird, to reach out and touch the sun and the moon, or to travel to different world systems, then the way to achieve that, those powers is by perfecting these four idipadas. And even the Buddha says in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta that one who has completely mastered the four Adipatas, if he wants to live on to the end of the Kalpa, the world cycle, then he is able to do so. And so it seems a little bit peculiar to myself that these qualities should be included amongst these 37 aids to enlightenment since the way that the particular capacity they have which is stressed in the suttas is not solely that of leading directly to insight and enlightenment but of being the supporting conditions for developing this variety, these various types of spiritual powers, supernormal powers. But the Buddha does mention, he does state that also these four itipadas are bases or foundations for gaining the last abhinya, which is the knowledge of arahanship, the knowledge of the destruction of defilements. And so in that way they will connect with the other factors of the path. Now these four bases for Indipada, we'll, we'll read the formula. <coughs> okay, here a bhikkhu develops the basis for spiritual power consisting in concentration due to zeal. And here I have determined endeavor, but Actually, I think that's not such an adequate rendering here. Now I would say consisting in concentration due to zeal and, let's say... What is the whole phrase? Determined striving. Even that's not so adequate. Because I see in the Itipada Samyutta that is analyzed as the four, actually the four light efforts. So we say he develops the basis of spiritual power consisting in concentration due to zeal or desire and let us say it's we'll say forces of striving, let's say forces of striving. 
forces, yeah, forces of striving. Then he develops the basis for spiritual power consisting in concentration due to energy, due to mind, due to investigation. and forces of striving. So within this formula now, we have two things which are invariable, which continue, which are present in each of the four bases. That is, we have concentration, samadhi, and these forces of striving, which are analyzed exactly with the formula for the four right efforts. And the differentiating factor for the four of them is that particular factor which we can call the controlling or dominating factor which brings about concentration. That will differ whether it is chanda, which will be a strong desire for the goals. In another case, it will be energy, that is, the effort, striving, endeavor. In the third case, it will be maybe just the natural strength of the mind, which brings about the concentration of samadhi. And somebody else, maybe who specializes more in analysis, investigation, intellectual, examination or vipassana insight meditation for that person the samadhi or concentration will come about through this investigation or examination scrutiny So here, basically, under the four Adipatas, one has four different mental factors, dominating, dominant mental factors, which are effective in bringing the mind to a state of samadhi, concentration. And these, the different factors work together with a uniform factor, namely energy or right effort here called forces of striving. And there's one difference between the basis of psychic of spiritual power and the other, like the five faculties, five powers, and that is within a single state of samadhi, one can't have four different it uh is present simultaneously in the role of the dominating force of that samadhi. That is of these four factors, desire, energy, mind or wisdom, in any state of samadhi, only one of them will be the actual idipada, the dominating factor. And so this will vary from one person to another. For some people, Sort of their mindset is governed by this desire for the goal, this sort of longing or aspiration for, to say, deliverance for nirvana, and that is what spurs on their spiritual striving. Another person might be the type, the energetic type, the vigorous type, the one who, if he wasn't a meditator, might be out building. Um, industrial empires or something like that, or else a champion athlete. <laughs> Another person will be sort of spurred on, actually I have to say, in the case of mind, I don't quite know how it will work. <laughs> Maybe it's just a person who has a very naturally pure and calm and composed mind, and so that person has to make very little effort 
but just the natural purity and tranquility of the mind will lead that person into samadhi. Then another person is a very inquisitive and investigative type, the kind who, if he wasn't to become a meditator, would become a philosopher or maybe a theoretical research physicist, <laughs> the one who wants to sort of unlock the secrets of the universe and the secrets of nature. And for that kind of person, that kind of person will reach samadhi through the fourth of investigation. My guess is that he was probably the Vimanza type, the investigative type. It's a little hard because he himself doesn't say very much, but um, the fact that he was able to penetrate that very concise statement and reach Arhanship right on the spot seems to indicate that he must have been the investigating type. And also the Buddha declared him after his death the chief, the foremost disciple, amongst those with quick understanding, kipabhinya. So he must have been the vimanza type, the one with the very high development of panya. Okay, so that is the four bases of psychic growth spiritual power. Then we come to the five indriyas, panchindriya. In a way I find this to be, the, the five faculties to be sort of the clearest maybe psychological analysis of what takes place in the development of the path. You say the quest for enlightenment. And the Buddha, in the formula, he says, I have proclaimed to my disciples the way to develop the five spiritual faculties. Here, a bhikkhu develops the faculty of faith, which leads to peace. That would be the peace of Nibbana, which leads to enlightenment. He develops the faculty of energy, the faculty of mindfulness, the faculty of concentration, the faculty of wisdom, which leads to peace, leads to enlightenment. And so this seems to give a pretty clear sequence of what takes place. First, say when one listens to the teaching, learns the teaching, at a certain point there will arise sata. One has faith in the teacher, the enlightened one, the Tathagata, and one places faith in the teaching and the Dhamma, and one has faith in oneself and one's own ability to develop the path. Okay, then when one develops faith, then one applies oneself to the practice, that is, one arouses one's energy. But actually here I would say, maybe they would invert the factors and say one, when one undertakes the practice, one begins by developing mindfulness, or one of the four foundations of mindfulness. So that is the faculty of mindfulness. Well, let's say one pr- begins practicing the foundations of mindfulness, but at first one doesn't have well-developed mindfulness, so the faculty of mindfulness is not yet there, or not yet well-developed. But one begins practicing one of the four foundations of mindfulness, say, anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, And in order to keep the object in mind, one has to arouse energy. When one starts to practice, many difficult, obstructive mental states come, and so one needs effort and energy to drive away the unwholesome, distracting states, and to arouse and sustain 
the wholesome mental state. Then as the energy becomes effective, then the mindfulness becomes more constant, more sustained. And so then one will have constancy, constancy of mindfulness, continuous, unbroken mindfulness. So at that point, one could say that the faculty of mindfulness really becomes operative. Then when the faculty of mindfulness becomes operative, then gradually it will bring true samadhi, true concentration. And then when there is true concentration, then one can begin investigating and examining the five aggregates, the six or twelve sense bases, the six dhatus or eighteen dhatus, Paticca Samuppada, the Four Noble Truths, and then the faculty of Panya, wisdom, is activated. And so here I say in the five faculties, we have a kind of sequence at work of one state leading into another and the following state building upon the preceding state. <coughs> so we shouldn't think that this is just a sequence in, what, in which you discard the earlier factor in order to develop the later factor. But rather, first there's faith, then building on faith, one arouses energy. When energy is aroused, that helps one sustain mindfulness. Then through that continuous mindfulness, there's concentration. And then with concentration, still present. In fact, with faith, energy, mindfulness, and concentration present, then wisdom arises. And then it's wisdom which functions as the really chief factor, the guiding factor, which brings Sambodhi, which brings enlightenment. And these, fac- these particular mental states are here called faculties in the sense that they exercise a certain dominating, um, dominating role in overcoming the states which are opposed to them, the opposed The word faculty, the Pali word indriya, comes from the Pali Sanskrit word indra. Indra was the chief of the gods, the king of the gods, actually the same as Saka. And in order to become the chief of the gods, Indra had to subdue the other gods, his opponents, and establish himself as the chief. And so in this way we could understand that each of these five mental factors becomes a faculty because it has to overcome and subdue a particular state which is opposed to it. The faculty of faith, Sata, has to overcome you could say skepticism, or cynicism, doubt, uncertainty, wavering. If a person is always doubting, reserved, skeptical, then they won't be able to engage in the Dhamma, undertake the practice of the Dhamma. Or even if they undertake the practice, but this kind of doubting and skeptical reserve it will become an obstacle so not be able to make complete progress at a certain point and so the Buddha speaks especially about the need to overcome the doubt and the four bases of doubt doubt about the teacher whether the Buddha is the fully enlightened one or not doubt about the Dhamma whether the teaching is completely true and valid, doubt about the Sangha, 
here we have to say not the monastic sangha, <laughs> but rather doubt about the Arya sangha, whether there are people who have followed this path and have truly reached these various stages of awakening. And then doubt about, fourthly, about the training, the actual course of practice. Will this training or practice bring me to the goal of enlightenment, the goal of Nibbana? And so a kind of tug of war or battle goes on between faith and doubt, even <coughs> Even in those of us maybe who are a long time committed Buddhists, there'll still be doubts, but then there's a struggle from faith, and when faith <coughs> utterly overcomes doubt, then we say the faculty of faith has become fully established. <coughs> but doubt can continue even through right up to the stage of Sotapanna. So we can <coughs> say that the faculty of faith only becomes fully and perfectly established in the Sotapanna. There, then the faculty of energy, this has to vanquish and subdue the qualities of laziness, indolence, sluggishness, dullness, drowsiness, or the aversion to practice. Then the faculty of mindfulness, this has to struggle and vanquish the, say, the mental state of unawareness or forget forgetfulness not in the sense of forgetting names and addresses and like that, but being forgetful to keep one's mindfulness alert, letting the mind slink, especially into a state called pramad or in Pali, pramada. You have the word, single the word, pramada? <laughs> the state of negligence or heedlessness. Then the faculty of concentration, this has to struggle against the state of or the quality of restlessness and distraction. Vikapa, the mind which is wandering and roaming here and there, the restless, agitated, um, unquiet mind. And then the faculty of wisdom, this has to vanquish we call ignorance or delusion, bewilderment, non-understanding. And so, within an ordinary person who's practicing the path, we could say that there's a constant struggle or battle going on in the mind between the five negative qualities doubt, laziness, negligence, distraction and confusion and these five positive qualities faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration and wisdom. 
and when these five, when one of these positive qualities has even temporarily subdued and suppressed the opposed negative quality, then it acquires the quality of being a faculty. But perhaps we could say in the suttas it said that the five faculties in their really proper sense only become established in the Aryan Buddha. Beginning with the stage of stream or one on the path of stream entry. But still, in a kind of provisional sense, we could say even in the ordinary person who is applying, who's trusting in the triple gem, applying energy, trying to be mindful, composing the mind, trying to develop understanding or wisdom, then the seeds of these five faculties are being cultivated. So there's not a kind of giant gap between the beginning of the path and the end, but rather there's a gradual cultivation of these five mental states, which at first they're rather unsteady and very insecure, just like a child beginning trying to learn to walk, gets up, walks a few steps and falls down. But just as the child, as time goes on, becomes steady on its feet, starts walking, then eventually becomes a very quick walker and maybe a champion track star. <laughs> so these five mental faculties gather strength until they become invincible and comfortable. Okay, maybe we will stop here for this evening, then continue again next week. Are there any questions on um, anything that we've discussed so far? What is the sentence? Uh, I see, it does have that sense of being late, yeah. Well, we could say that <laughs> the person who is um, Pumato, who is, falls into Pumada in the Buddha sense, is late in getting to Nibbana. <laughs> Okay, are there <coughs> any further questions? When you get this uh, hindrance, five hindrances, yeah. that is the five hindrances. Of course, when these all the five faculties, there are at least a combination of sati and virya to overcome the five hindrances. And then when the five hindrances are overcome, then there comes samadhi. So the five hindrances, when they say they're actually opposed to all five of the faculties. I wouldn't try to make a one-to-one -one, um, opposition between one particular hindrance, one particular faculty. But maybe one could say, wait, let us see, that maybe that could be done to some extent. Tina Mita, that's dullness and drowsiness. Maybe it's opposed to the faculty of energy. Restlessness and worry. Udacha Kukucha, it's somewhat opposed to the faculty of samadhi, concentration. And doubt is, of course, as opposed to at the one level it's opposed to faith, at another level it's opposed to panya, to wisdom. But the first two hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, it's hard to draw like a one-to-one -one correspondence, but it's more like a combination of things has to be used to overcome them. Did somebody of you say something? Excuse me? No, there is no one-to-one. Yeah, it's hard to make 
the one-to-one correspondence between the whole stuff. But I think Tina Mita and Virya, Udatsu Kukucha and Samadhi and Dao and Sada Panya. Excuse me? It's, it's never done in the suttas, it's never done in quite that way. There is a particular balancing of the faculties which is mentioned in the commentaries. Maybe I should add that here. It has a certain plausibility, though not completely. One is that the faculties of faith and wisdom have to be balanced with each other. That if somebody has too much faith without intelligence and understanding, then they can just go to extremes and fall into a kind of dogmatic approach to the Dhamma or just an overly emotional approach without um, really making an effort to learn, to understand, to practice properly. If somebody just takes an intellect, if they have too much panya, not in the sense of real wisdom, but too much intellectual, if they take too intellectual approach, without real faith, then they just treat the Dhamma as a kind of intellectual plaything, that they are interested in getting a lot of knowledge and trying to um, play with the Dhamma in terms of um, turning it into kind of philosophical view, then maybe writing arguments against other religions to try to prove why Buddhism is better than this religion or this philosophy, or else they might become very capable scholars. But if there's not that sata, then there isn't the impulse to practice. So in that way, faith and wisdom have to be held in some balance. Then, virya and samadhi. That's energy and concentration. But here I think we have to understand samadhi not as the real concentration, but the quiet or calming tendency in the mind. It has to be balanced with the energetic, or striving quality of the mind. If there's just that, if there's a surplus of energy, but not enough quiescence, calmness in the mind, then one will just become too much, one will overexert oneself and burn oneself out with too much enthusiasm, too much effort, without the proper um, degree of calmness and collectedness. They say if there's too much samadhi, not in the sense of real absorption or concentration, but just too much quietness of the mind, but not enough energy, effort, then one will just sink into a kind of sort of dull state of samadhi, kind of um, cloudy samadhi, not a real bright and luminous concentration. And so one has to balance energy and calmness composedness. Okay, then we will continue next week. <laughs> yes, actually, very good question that um, I should have mentioned, but through lack of mindfulness, <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, it said that mindfulness is the most important factor here because it's mindfulness which actually oversees the other four factors and make sure that they're held in balance. So it's mindfulness which determines whether faith and, and wisdom are properly balanced. It's mindfulness which determines whether energy and composure are properly balanced. And then if they're not balanced, then it's mindfulness which gives the kind of command or command to stir up, to correct the imbalance by arousing the factor which is defective or by restraining the factor which is in excess. Okay, good.